This is The Good List. I'm Tish Hoxenreiter. This is an idea. First of all, I'm so grateful for all the kind messages you've sent me about last week's Good List episode called Be the Bridge, where I shared a conversation with my local friend, Alicia. I'm so glad it resonated with so many of you. Please take a few minutes to listen in as part of your ongoing anti-racism education if you haven't yet. I'm so grateful and thankful for wise women like Alicia in my life. The work of dismantling our culture's long-held white supremacy is a marathon, not a sprint. So join me in doing this work for the long haul. I remember a certain set of summers when I was a kid. I want to say around ages 10 to 14. Both my parents worked outside the house, and this was in central Texas. So my childhood summers were hot, as in too hot to do anything but swim in the neighborhood pool or sit inside the house with the AC. Of course, that didn't stop me from wandering around the neighborhood, going to the dollar theater on my bike, spending my precious earned dollars on tacky jewelry and nail polish at the local drugstore, and flipping the channels between the facts of life and growing pains. And because these were the summers before I had a license, a car, or a job, I was on my own to get to all these local places. My range of motion was pretty small. It's a tough age because you want to be out more because of your slowly expanding social life, yet you just can't because you don't have a way to get around. In other words, I was bored, really bored. I felt like there was nothing to do. And yet somehow, 30 years later, I managed to survive all my vanilla suburban summers. They were all fine. I hung out at home a ton, I waited for my parents to get home, and I did it all without a smartphone, YouTube, or Netflix. And I bet you did too. I'm saying all this to remind those of us with kids who are starting their summer breaks and who are maybe sharing that maybe they're a bit bored. They've been home for months now, and with everything up in the air, it's hard to know whether you can travel or plan anything, really. The summer's a strange one, right? I mean, 2020 is a beyond bizarre year, so why wouldn't the summer be weird too? For most of us, it's hard to know how to approach the next few months that are wide open in front of us. I'm right there with you. In fact, I think all three of my kids have told me today that they're bored. So this is why I'm taking to heart a bit of wisdom a friend casually told me not too long ago, something that one of her friends told her. I thought it was really simple and really smart and really specific to this particular summer in the year of our Lord 2020. Here it is. Think of your summer in two-week increments. That's it. When you think about what you would like to accomplish or do or enjoy this summer, only think about the next 14 days. Because who among us knows anything beyond that anyway? I mean, we don't even know what this weekend will be like, but two weeks at least feels somewhat planable, at least compared to a whole month and definitely the entire summer. Basically, it's okay if you're unable to answer your kids whether you're going to visit the grandparents next month, because that's more than two weeks away. You don't know whether you can go camping later in the summer, because that's more than two weeks away. And you're not sure whether eventually the pools or movie theaters and indoor play places will be open this summer. You're not a soothsayer. But you could honestly answer that it doesn't seem like they'll be open sometime in the next two weeks. So, hey, let's plan something else. Let's build a treehouse in the backyard or get an inflatable pool or start a Marvel movie marathon 
or host a book club in your front yard with three other people and sit six feet apart, or whatever you're able to do with the regulations in your local community. You can handle thinking about the next two weeks, because that's all you can handle right now. And hey, something might very well change within those two weeks, and that's okay, because you haven't planned more than two weeks in advance. Now trust me, I'm not saying this because it's easy. I want to know if we can travel later this summer. I want to book things, plan things, schedule things, but I know I'll be more frustrated and disappointed, and my kids will be too, if I cross my fingers and hope those plans will work in two months' time, and then it turns out that we have to cancel them again, rather than making partial solution plans just for the next two weeks. That feels doable, and not much else does. So this is what we're doing around here. This weekend, we're going away just a few hours from home to celebrate our youngest 10th birthday, the first time in months we've gone anywhere. We're tending our backyard garden like never before, and we're thinking through harvesting in the next two weeks. We're doing a lot of baking and our bookmarking recipes to try. Kids are taking a lot of masterclass courses. I'm thinking about what books I'd like to read by the end of June. Kyle and I are planning a date for next week where we'll go to an open restaurant with just a few tables and hopefully sit outside on their back deck. And that's it. (laughs) It's not the summer we wanted. I was going to host Literary London again. We were going to travel overseas as a family, but we're not. Oh, well, right? So if you're feeling frustrated by not being able to predict the future of the summer, perhaps only embrace the next two weeks. And then the next two weeks. And then the next two weeks. (laughs) Rinse and repeat. Because I'm more and more convinced this is the sanest way for me to approach this summer. There's lots I'm thankful for, and there's good ways to have a perfectly fine summer this 2020, even if it's not exactly how I thought it would go. Right now, I'm looking forward to the next two weeks. Right now, we're going to take a super short break. I'll be right back. Hey guys, a quick reminder that as you browse books online, to consider channeling your dollars away from that online monolith of a warehouse that we all know, and instead order books from bookshop.org. Bookshop is an online storefront that supports local independent bookshops, the stores we love to see in our communities and who have been much harder hit from the pandemic than that one giant online shop that shall not be named. When you order from bookshop.org, you're not only ordering from these indie bookshops, but a portion of all sales go to mom and pop bookstores in general and to online creators like myself, all at no extra cost to you. So yes, I know it's convenient to buy from Shmamazon. But consider that you're voting with your dollars for the world you want to live in. You can find tons of my book recommendations from my current TBR stack to the books I assign my students, or my favorite books about faith or living well, or books for children and more at thegoodlistshow.com slash bookshop. That'll take you right where you need to go. And when you use that link, you're supporting both the work here on this podcast and the local bookshops you know and love. So again, that's thegoodlistshow.com slash bookshop. And thanks again for your support. Well, hello, Emily. Hi, Tish. Hello. What do you have for us right now? Well, I have a TV show that I've been obsessed with for a while. It's not new, but it's a show called Chef's Table on Netflix. Have you watched it? I have seen it on my, like, we think you would like this bit, but I've not watched it. Oh, Tish. It's so good. I have three, I have three favorite episodes. Do you want me to tell you what they are? Please do. Okay. One is in volume six. 
It's mm-hmm. Mashama Bailey is that basically, well, she's a chef. Basically what it does is it each episode features a different chef, like in the restaurant and their expertise and their brilliance. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, if you like cooking, you'll like the show. It's also like, it's a, it's the way they tell the story of the chef and of their life and of how they came to be doing the work that they're doing. And sometimes it's because like they grew up when their grandmother owned a restaurant and you, you know, but usually it's not that usually it's like, I was a tax collector. And then I realized I loved making cookies. Well, none of them are tax collectors, but like, right. that's the example. Is that it's, yeah. It's like usually like a, you know, they came about it and finally recognizing, you know, this love or this gift that they had. But so, so one episode is in volume six. Um, like I said, Mashama Bailey, she um, co-owns a restaurant in Savannah that used to be, hmm. A segregated former segregated bus station. Oh wow! Um, and now it's a restaurant called The Gray, and it is so fascinating. But just she, just kind of her roots and the whole story of it is so lovely. Um, so that's one second episode I recommend is um, in Volume One, um, the one with Dan Barber. He's the owner of Blue Hill, which is a restaurant in New York, um, mm-hmm. and just his story is like kind of. A, kind of didn't know what he was doing. And then a critic came to the restaurant one night and like spoke out what he was doing as if it was on purpose. And Dan was like, well, I guess that's what we're doing. (laughs) So, (laughs) which is just so, because I think so many times when we like learn from artists or people doing something cool that, that for example, they would make a show about like a chef, we think it's because people, you know, like I am five years old and I am going to plan to do this for the rest of my life. And like, it's just never as rarely how success really comes about. It's usually pretty right. serendipitous. Um, but anyway, the third episode that's super fun is um, Christina Tosi in volume four. And she is um, the owner of the bakery milk bar in Brooklyn. Yes. I've heard of that. Have you heard of that one? I've never been there. I think there's actually several of those all over, but I think it started in Brooklyn and she basically like asked herself the question, what could I do every day for the rest of my life? And her answer was make cookies. And so mm-hmm. that's what she did. But I just think that overall the show chef's table, it just kind of combines nostalgia and food with like creativity and genius and entrepreneurship and, um, beauty and I feel like all of these chefs kind of elevate really familiar things like ingredients, but then they elevate them to something artistic. It's lovely. I can see why I would like that because one of my favorite things on earth is watching people be really good at what they do, if that makes sense. Like Uh even if I have no concept of what it is they're doing, I love watching people do their thing really well. And it sounds like that on display. Totally. That will definitely fit the bill. So is this kid friendly? Oh, yeah. Now, I will say certain episodes, the chefs um, have more, how shall we say, colorful <laughs> language. Mm-hmm. They're spicy. <laughs> um, but then other episodes are like rated G. So I bet it okay. would say, I haven't looked, but um, but yeah, so it depends on the chef, really. Sure. Yeah, I'm good with that. I just know some people are probably wondering, ooh, is this a show I could you know, put on for my 10 year old or whatever, or watch with him. Yeah, I think it definitely could be. Okay, that's good. We like I have some kids who are super into documentaries and super into like low stress documentaries. You know what I mean? Like the ones that just kind of are watching people or nature do things. And it kind of sounds like that. Is that Mm -hmm. true? Like, is it just really chill? 
it's really chill. It's lovely music. It's like kind of, um, a slow pace, um, Mm -hmm. in certain parts. And it just, it's almost like the show, it's kind of a documentary, but it's like telling the story, Mm -hmm. um, in a really beautiful way. And watching it, it's like, I just kind of find myself mesmerized and not thinking about anything else, which is, you know, what else is TV good for if it's not good for that? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, and I think we all feel that need on a regular basis, maybe more now than ever when yeah. in our very uncertain times to watch. I think both um, low stress stuff, but also beautiful things like to remember that there is lovely stuff out there, even if we can't physically be there. Absolutely. And I will say it also has kind of inspired me to be a little more creative in my own kitchen, which is not always the case when I watch like food shows on TV, but that's how that's, that's the power of chef's table is that it's kind of, it's, it's influencing my kitchen life. Yeah. That's actually interesting to me because I'm with you. Most of those cooking shows, I watch just more for eye candy. Like, wow, look at what you can do and what I right. super cannot do or don't want to do. Um, right. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Good. Thank you. For I'm going to, I'm going to obey Netflix and, and believe that they think I will like it. So good. I think you will. Cool. A big thanks to my friend, Emily, for chatting with me about what's on her good list these days. You can follow her and her work on Instagram and Twitter at Emily P. Freeman. I'm on Twitter at Tish and sometimes on Instagram at Tish Oxenwriter. And you can also find a transcript in the show notes of this episode, number 35, and all episodes at thegoodlistshow.com. That's also where you can find stuff like my newsletter, books, workshop, and more. And a little reminder as well that you can pay whatever you want for my new four-part audio workshop. It's called Create Your Rule of Life. The summer might very well be the just right time for you to work through that. It's been so life-giving for me, so maybe it will be for you too, especially during these wild, unplannable times. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod, and thanks as always to Caroline Tassell and Kyle Oxenrider for their help, as well as my furry intern, Jenny. I'm Tish Oxenrider, and I'll be back with you soon. Thanks for listening to The Good List.